But then the other thing is that in the last year that I was a that was a narcotics agent, I spent a lot of time in the in the wiretap room. And at that point, I was on the major case unit, you know, mm. kilos of cocaine coming through a, a small county like Chatham County, mm. dealing with millions of dollars in illicit revenues and stuff like that. The thing was, is I was sitting in the wiretap room waiting for the phone to ring. But what I did was I, I worked. So I took on clients and I, and I freelanced from the wiretap room. very special guest this week. His name is Ben Burns. He's an award-winning designer, strategist, and he's the chief operating officer at The Future. The Future is a group of creative professionals that teach practical design and business education to a fast-growing global audience. If you work in the creative industry, there's a very strong chance that you've come across their amazing content. Here, Ben talks about starting his career in design and then becoming a police officer in Savannah, Georgia. He shares some stories about working in narcotics, going undercover, before coming back to creative work, and ultimately moving to Los Angeles and changing the world of design education with the future. All right, let's go. Here's Ben. Okay, so I'm here now with Mr. Ben Burns. Hey, hey, hey. How are you, sir? Wonderful. How are you? I am really well. I'm so pleased you could join. Been looking Thanks forward so to talking to you for so long. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Let's do it. Where are you right now? Santa so Monica? right now I'm in, uh, in my home office. Um, I li- actually live in Hawthorne, which is a little bit south of, yep. of LA and Santa Monica. Okay. Um, but ever since... Uh, the COVID situation, we've yeah. been 100% remote. And 100%. So, um, yep, yep, we're totally remote now. And uh, the home office has been has been uh, really great for me. The commute, you can't beat it, right? Like, mm. <laughs> So it's because some people, some people have been missing it, right? Going to work, having the office. I, I don't mean at your company, just in general, some people really enjoy getting out. So you're, mm. you're one of the few that, well, not Phoebe, you're one of the ones who like working from home. Yeah, I do. I do. At, at any moment, I can literally look to the right and <laughs> see my kids grow up. So Aww. that in and of itself is is just a gift. Okay, um, well, let me quickly ask you, isn't that a distraction? Because I have two kids and I dislike, I'm one of the <laughs> ones who dislike working at home, not because I don't love my kids, I get distracted, man. I need the office. Absolutely. It is totally a distraction. Um, with with my firstborn, so my, my firstborn is five and mm. uh, the youngest is two. And with my firstborn, um, when, when she was, you know, one, one and a half, two years old, we were right in the throes of like building a business and then selling the business and then mm. moving to L.A., Mm. And when we moved to LA, um, you know, I was working two two jobs. I was working uh, at a at an agency and as a as a content person for the future. Mm. And I never got to see her. You know, I would I would tuck her in at night and I would um, be there for the weekends. But you know, it was a miracle that I got to see her first steps. It was a miracle that I you know got to hear the first time she said "Mama." Um, 
And it's just because those things happen on a Saturday. You know, I don't even know what I missed on every other day. <laughs> uh, and so with this, like it is definitely a distraction, but that's a challenge that I'd rather have versus yes. you know, being away from them. Yes. Um, now we, we we're planning on making a move here pretty, pretty soon in the next couple months and wherever we wind up, I will definitely have a separate office with a door. Right. Um, because <laughs> that's <laughs> because key. right now I'm working in a dining room that's kind of connected to the family area. So I think that a little bit of separation will help, but just being able to like have lunch with them and um, spend the the two hours a day that I would otherwise be on the road. Yes. It's, it's just a gift. Yeah. I know all about that LA traffic. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you're planning to make a move, like move house, you mean? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So we're, we're, we're considering a whole bunch of areas, but uh, since the future is 100% remote now, um, we're actually looking at like, do we move back home to, to be near family wow. in, uh, in South Carolina? So a lot of things on the table right now. That's huge. So you think you think um, you guys can operate 100% remote even after, I mean, I don't know, even know if there's such a thing as after COVID anymore, but even after this all goes away, you think it's going to, you could do this remotely going forward? 100%. Yep. Wow. I mean, think deal. about it. Like the, if it were in the agency days when we were working with clients and, and doing this kind of stuff, that would be a little bit more challenging um, because there's so much that you can get from in-person collaboration. Um, but it just so happens to, to, to be that we're a remote education company in a time where being remote is actually a safety precaution. Mm. <laughs> and so um, it, after a couple of like initial bumps, um, we realized that like, this is totally possible. And so we, we went hundred percent remote. Now we're still going to maintain a couple of the production studios in the building that, that, that Chris owns. Mm. So we'll always have a home base and we'll always have somewhere that, you know, we can bring you in can external authors and record yeah. content and record courses and things like that. But um, as far as the day to day, as far as the business, it's all online and uh, we've got a global team. So, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's something that we've embraced for, for a exciting. while. I mean, just, I'm so excited about that. I, I think remote is really the future of work. It's exciting and a little bit scary. Does that, is that going to separate us more in terms of humans? Like, don't we need to be together to make things happen? That's a great question. You know, with, with, with creative efforts, especially like working with clients on a deadline, um, you know, putting a bunch of people in a room and not letting them out until there's a solution I, I honestly think that there's, there's magic that happens exactly. there, you right. know? Um, but when it comes to focused work, you know, once the idea is there and once people are, they have their individual responsibilities, the office actually, for me, became more of a distraction than anything, you know? Mm. It was like, where are we going for lunch today? I don't know. Like, <laughs> are we doing a party or whose birthday is it? And, mm. <laughs> you know, I, I think that there's value in that. But also, I don't think work should be at your, your family. You know, I don't think that uh, your workplace should fill the gap of, um, you know, your friends and, and your relationships. Um, and, I, and I think that, like, with our generation, with, with millennials, um, 
we put so much value and so much on our workspace and uh, you know, working with people that we like. And I think that that is um, it's a placeholder almost for actual real authentic relationships that we can maintain outside the office. Hmm. All right. Uh, I would love to go a little bit back to the beginning uh, for you. So where, well, first of all, let me ask you, when you meet someone new right now and they ask, hey, what do you do? How do you answer? (laughs) Well, first, uh, I'm like, what are you doing in my house? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I I just heard, I just heard it. So yeah, let's assume this is, you know. in the normal uh, but, world <laughs> but yeah um so typically i i just say that i'm the coo of a remote education company uh, and usually that's followed up with oh my gosh what? that's that's amazing what do you teach and i say that you know we teach creatives how to make money because that's what it boils down to whether we're in you know helping you improve your design skills or your um your your business stuff and and you know everything relating to money yeah, uh, we focus on helping you make money doing what you love. Awesome. So, um, but you did not start your career in design, am I correct? No, well, kind of, it, kind of. So I, when I was in college, my first like real job, I'm, I'm doing air quotes right now, but my first like <laughs> big boy job yeah, um, was I was in, a design intern ah. for a marketing agency. Yeah. What did you study in college? <laughs> I bounced around a bunch, uh, started in journalism, then went to advertising. Both of those were a lot of writing, um, which funny enough, I do so much writing right now and that's why I avoided it. But, uh, you know, bounced around between those and, and wound up in media arts, which at uh, university of South Carolina, that was kind of like the bucket that they threw all the creative stuff in that didn't really fit anywhere else. Um, <laughs> So it was, it was kind of a general art degree. Mm, that okay. Sense. Okay. Um, but then you ended up working in a slightly more intense job than. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, After tell I spent us what a couple of yeah. years um, in that agency, you know, I was uh, worked my way from design intern to graphic designer. And then I landed a senior designer title, which didn't mean anything, but it's cool to say. <laughs> Um, I just, you know, I felt like there was something missing and, uh, didn't know if I wanted to start my own business or if I wanted to like pursue a different career. And so in order to help my, um, decision-making capabilities, I I just quit my job. Turns out that was in 2008 when the global economy crashed. Yes. (laughs) And so. Did you quit um, in the middle of. A recession or right before? Right smack dab in the middle of the recession. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And did you quit so, without having anything to go to? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. You know, I was, I, I've always been really confident in my ability to kind of figure things out. Mm. Um, but that one was tough. That one was tough. Um, but it kind of led me down this path where, you know, I've, I've been working as a quasi designer for three years at that point. And I didn't like the fact that like I would come to the office and sit down at a desk and just stay there for the mm. entire day. Mm. Um, and I also felt like this, this calling to 
give back or, um, you know, serve in some way because mm. the, the clients that I was working for, you know, I was working for DreamWorks and Paramount Pictures and all these big names, um, but I wasn't having fun and the work didn't mean anything to me. And wow. so I was searching for that meaning. And so I was just like, you know what, let's just, let's just do a complete 180 <laughs> and put down the mouse and the, and the Pantone book and, and pick up a badging gun. Amazing. And that's what I did. So I, I uh, started applying all the way up at the CIA, right? And then worked wow. my way down through the federal government and then into the state level investigation agency and finally wound up with a job as a, as a police officer in, in Savannah. Whoa. <laughs> Phil, I, I, I want to understand. You, you're sitting there designing for Paramount and Fox or whoever. Where did, the, did you, were you thinking like, I want something different? Or were you thinking, I want to be a cop? Like, were you thinking, I want something different? And then, you know, the police career kind of came into your peripheral. Or were you actively looking to join the force? I think it was, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, so as far as the design stuff goes, like, there are really cool clients to work for. And I absolutely um, would love, you know, another crack at jobs like that. Um, mm. But at the same time we were we were working on stuff that was really really low on the totem pole and so by the time the projects got put in our lap yeah pretty much everything was decided like we were the receivers of the style guide not the creators of right. the style guide and so you know i, I can remember uh, one of my dream projects was working on a, a, a piece of promotional merchandise for Coraline and i absolutely loved the 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 look and the feel that they came up with but it wasn't my work mm. and and so that like when i said it didn't really mean much it was like because it was because the decisions were were already made um that mattered i i just felt like i was kind of just a logo resizer exactly yeah so, just a button pusher it, right right and you know i was doing some cool stuff it, it just was like I didn't have that kind of seat at the table. Um, and then at the same time, you know, I, I grew up, I had asthma as a kid. I um, was always kind of the creative nerd. Um, even though I was a big dude, like I didn't want to play football in high school, <laughs> but there was that, there, there's that seed that gets planted um, in the back of your mind. And I've talked to a couple of other like big dudes that are in the creative space. And, and this is the same <laughs> for them where it's like, but what if, Yeah. right? what if I pursued something like that? Um, and, and so I, you know, the bridge between football and, and policing is, is pretty far, but it's, I was looking for something physical. Um, in the same year, I also joined the military. I was a, in the national guard. So I was just trying to like, you know, what, see if I could push myself into a place that was totally uncomfortable. Yeah. Into something that was totally new totally foreign and, and to see if I could succeed. And how, how long did you stay in that career in your second adventurous career? Yeah. So I was a police officer for five years. I was in the military for four and a half. Um, and the policing career was rewarding and, and terrifying kind of all wrapped up into one uh, ugly box. Mm. Um, so the bad part about policing, you know, when, when I was in uniform, I was only in uniform for about a year. Mm. I was, uh, you know, on the street doing police things. 
Wow. Making sure that people weren't fighting after the bars let out, pulling people over for speeding, writing a traffic accident, like reports up okay um, domestic violence stuff like the the kind of things that um society needs to move forward mm. but that when you're actually in the thick of it unless it's like a real case you know unless it's like something that that um you can you can see that you made an impact on it's boring it really <laughs> is you know like domestic violence sounds like it's it's a uh, adrenaline rush but a lot of times it was it was more disputes right um, then violence if that makes sense okay so it was just kind of boring and and i i became obsessed with you know trying to get guns off the street because savannah was really known for um it's it's high murder rate and so right alongside guns especially in those days were, were drugs and so mm. um that's what i focused on and I got picked up by a special operations unit about a year in. And so did that for about a year. And then a multi-jurisdictional narcotics agency pulled me out of that special operations unit. And so for the last three years, I was a narcotics agent. Wow. So everything from helping run wiretaps, working with the DEA, um, doing undercover work whoa you have to share some stories from that because i know i have (laughs) i have this one blog post where just you know you you beginning the first sentence is like talking about your ballistic vest and you have the mask and you're about to break (laughs) into some door i found that a thrilling read you know you can you share some uh, some stories from those times yeah um what's the most memorable uh i don't know case during your um, narcotics period? So a lot of stuff, like, obviously I I can't share details, but um, I I would say that like the most memorable case, the one that was like the the most rewarding for me was this, this whirlwind of a case where we started off with uh, a small buy. Uh, It was a, it was a marijuana and cocaine case, which marijuana in the state of Georgia is, uh, was illegal and still is illegal there. Oh, so we started off with a very small purchase um, and worked our way up the chain over the course of 48 to 72 hours. Um, so when you say we, you, I mean, you as an undercover. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was the case agent on that, meaning I, I ran everything Wow. and uh, we worked in, in teams. You know, we had a team of six to eight people that, that helped us with, you know, surveillance and mm. doing cover work and stuff like that and um we we followed the scent we followed the uh the trail of narcotics all the way up to the person who was importing it in from outside the country and so we were able to make an arrest at such a high level there um that it may not have made a dent on the trafficking of drugs in the county (laughs) overall but yeah but it was it was one of those things where like at that level, you could tell that like this person may have been involved in in some other more nefarious things, like mm. you know, of course, maybe yeah. there was a murder, maybe there, you know, more violent crimes that you know, sending this person to jail. 
meant yeah it's definitely gonna make a difference drugs yeah, yeah of course so seeing that evolve and and you know that was probably the longest stretch of time that i've ever not slept aside from some of the training that i had in the military oh um, my god because we were just rolling 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 and 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 doing operation after operation um that was probably the most memorable just because of how quick it happened and how much we were able to do in such a short time because our team was small and you know we were we were working very fast and how much did you think about your previous design career during those times oh man uh pro- not not very much you know when i commit to something i usually go all in okay and i'm not uh i'm not the kind of guy that makes like forever decisions hmm. but when i do make a decision uh you know it kind of that's what i think about and so i was i was really knee deep in that world and to be promoted that quickly it, you know it kind of showed a dedication yeah you um, must have been good at it i mean i don't want to brag <laughs> but yeah <laughs> so that um, begs the question what brought you back what you know what took you out of there what made you want to move on well somewhere in there i got married and okay. uh, we bought a house and um the the crazy thing is that when you're a police officer a lot of times you have to live in the same area in which you patrol and so i i kind of was toying around with the idea of starting a side hustle in design mm. and i was like you know police officers don't make much money <laughs> even narcotics agents i think i was making like 35,000 a year or 38,000 a year. Okay. Which in the in the United States it's it's pretty low. Mm. <laughs> I mean it's not a lot of money. Yeah. Um and this was like 2010. Yeah, so we're talking like 2010, 2011. Yeah. So I was like, you know, maybe if I, I if I start taking on some clients on the side, you know, I could do a logo here, brochure there, you know, pull in some extra cash mm. and um so that's what I started doing. But what what really what was the what was the trigger that really made me say, okay, maybe being a police officer is is not a good long term career. Is that I realized that like out of all my friends who had been in the business for a long time, right, something broke, either their mm. marriage yep, or yep, their yep. body or their mind. One of those things would break definitely as a, as a police officer. Understandable. And this is not like, you know, in, in today's climate, it's really difficult to, to say these kinds of things because, you know, I'm a big believer in police reform. I, I honestly mm. do think that from the ground up, the system needs to be analyzed. Um, Just like education. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, but the, the humanity, the human that's in the, that's, that's wearing the uniform mm. is eventually broken and Mm. so i had a friend that committed suicide i had a friend um that was shot you know i had a friend that is forever saddled with back problems because of um the weight of the equipment and stuff like that um and then i've had several friends that their marriage just fell apart and so i started like just analyzing this and was like yeah Am I making a am I making a huge difference? And mm. honestly, the answer is no, because what we were doing was, you know, we were arresting basically businessmen. I mean, these these guys were trafficking in illegal narcotics, but you know, the motivation behind this was 
was not to be some gangster. It was just to make money. And so it was like, interesting. it's not like I was truly making a difference in the community. I didn't, I didn't feel that at that point. And, you know, it, it was like, am I gaining enough out of this financially, spiritually, mm. mentally to make this thing worth it? And it, it just, the answer was no. Yeah. And then the final trigger, the thing that like kind of set me over the edge was uh, I was in my front yard raking leaves. It was just totally plain clothes, you know, like there was nothing police on me. Ah, uh, don't and, tell me uh, somebody recognized you. Somebody was walking down the down the street and uh he said, Hey officer. Oh no. Yeah. That and would freak for, me out. When you're undercover, when you're yeah. when you when you're in plain clothes for three yeah. years, that is the worst. Yeah, right. I, because I there's no imagine. markings on my vehicles. I never showed up to my house in tactical gear. I was not living there when I was in uniform. You know, the list goes on, but you know, there was no reason that that person should have known that I was a police officer. And who the heck when was that it? Happened? Say again. Who the heck was it? I don't know. I don't know. Um, wow. I, I, I'm assuming that they were homeless, um, just just by uh, the way that they looked. Mm. But just the fact that like this person recognized me from undercover from from that yeah. world because i had a full beard at this point which i didn't have you know on the street in uniform yeah um that was that was that was eye opening for me and i realized that like you know this is nothing's broken so far yeah. and and i now have things that i want to preserve yeah and so then then that was like okay maybe we need to start packing up and and uh making some decisions but then the other thing is that in the last year that I was a, that was a narcotics agent. I spent a lot of time in the, in the wiretap room. And at that point I was on the major case unit, which Mm. we dealt with major cases. I mean, it's exactly how it sounds, you know, Mm -hmm. kilos of cocaine coming through a a small County like Chatham County Mm. dealing with millions of dollars in illicit revenues and stuff like that. The thing was, is I was sitting in the wiretap room waiting for the phone to ring and someone would be, we'd we'd have to have a team that just manned the phones. And these guys would make maybe a phone call or two every single day. Hmm. And so there would be these long stretches of time that I just do nothing. I'd just be sitting there. And so my buddies would fill the time with like, you know, watching movies or going to the gym or, you know, that kind of stuff. And thinking back the joke that I always make is like, maybe I should have gone to the gym more. Um, <laughs> but what I did was I, I worked. So I took on clients and I, and I freelanced from wow. the wiretap room. Wow. And it got to the point where I was doing so much work, working two jobs at once that the, the side hustle became the primary income. And I was, I was actually making more money doing that than I was, you know, risking my life. Cool. Um, on a daily basis. And so that was kind of the natural progression. It was like, you know, I think you know, I've been doing this for two years now. I, I think that uh, this isn't going to stop. I'm going to, I'm going to make the jump. And so that's what I did. Amazing. So then let's jump right to California. What brought you to LA? Did you get the job with the future first or did you move to LA first? Um, Kind of neither. There was a step in between. So oh. the freelance, um, the freelance business that I started in the wiretap room kind of grew to the point where, uh, you know, I couldn't handle all of the business myself. 
And so at this point, we had already moved from Savannah, Georgia to Richmond, Virginia. Um, and I set up shop in Richmond, hired employees at, at, our, at our largest. We had a team of five and we were doing client work. The name of that agency was, was Burnt Creative. Hmm. And it was in that process where I found Chris. And this is like 2013, 2014. Um, and Chris had just started putting YouTube videos out there with, with his, his business partner, Jose. And for those of you guys who don't know Chris, I'm, I'm speaking of Chris Doe. He's the founder of The Future, where I now work. Yep. And so he was putting this content out. And I was like, spoke to you. Man, you are speaking directly to me. Like, yep. he's talking about how to grow an agency. He's talking about how to find clients. And he was giving this advice that just blew my mind. Yeah. You know, because I had taught myself design, basically. I, I didn't go to school for it. I had taught myself entrepreneurship. I just kind of learned by, by getting punched in the face. You know, I, I learned by bumps and bruises. Um, and here was this guy that was just giving out this information for free. It was amazing. Yeah. Yep. Um, even though in those days he was, he was pretty nervous, which is kind of funny <laughs> to go back and see. Um, and so I reached out to him and I said, Hey, look, thank you. Just please don't stop. Like keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he, he wrote me back and, um, offered to jump on a phone call with me to, to kind of understand his, his audience better. Wow. And from there, uh, mentorship was born. Yeah. And so, uh, I was for him kind of the Guinea pig on a lot of the, <laughs> the beginning material that he was putting out for the channel. Um, at that point it was known as the school with a K mm. and, uh, as he evolved, his business evolved. Um, so, you know, obviously he was putting content out on YouTube, but he also had an agency called blind, mm. um, that was transitioning away from doing motion design for, you know, other agencies to the branding space. And, uh, he saw some of the work that we were doing in, in branding, but more specifically in, in web. Um, and he was like, you know, I could, I could use someone like you to run all of our digital stuff here at blind. Hmm. And so at that point, you know, we entered into discussions and uh, eventually we landed on kind of an acquisition, an aqua hire deal where he, uh, he brought me and my family and one of my employees out to, out to LA to oh. work for blind as a, I don't want to say condition of, of the deal or condition of my employment. Mm. Um, he asked me to help him grow the future. And so that's, that's really where I kind of got in on the, on the ground floor and, and started working both jobs at once. <laughs> Amazing. And the rest is history. Like you guys are changing the, the world of design today. I would say there's no, if you're in design anywhere in the world, you are familiar with what the future is doing. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. We're trying. Yeah. So let me ask you, like today, uh, in today's world, something that you noticed, which was this guy was sharing all this amazing stuff and he's doing it for free. And in today's world, the more you give out, the more you share, the more you actually gain, right? Because I, was, I still remember in the old days, speaking to old school people, they're talking about, I don't want to give away my secrets and I don't, you know, this is my thing. This is my technique. Why would I share that? How, you know, how come the mindset has changed today? Or do you think, do you see it changing? I, I think that people are still hung up on that. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I see that. that. Like there's, there's, there's a group of people that are really guarded about their process yes. and, um, and the way that they think about, about projects. And, and that's, I think that's fine. But I think that the fear in and of itself is, is unfounded hmm. because I'm a firm believer in that there's really nothing new. Yep. Like anything that's, that has been created is, is probably created. And really the only novel things that, that kind of come out are when someone combines two things that are already yes. out there, you know, yes. and, and then something that's, that's fresh is, is born, but it's not really new because you can go back and look at the sources and, and mm-hmm. see a direct attribution. And so I think like where uh, I, I think it's fine that, that people have this, um, that people don't want to share. I also think that there's, you know, it's, it's the fear that's a little bit unfounded or, or not grounded in, in reality. Like they're not going to diminish their value uh, simply because they, they, they let people in. I know. And I feel like they're not looking at the bigger picture, which is on a humanity scale. That's how we grew and develop, right? It's about sharing collective knowledge that mm-hmm. you know we that's how we became who we are from inventing language right the yeah. the reason we invented language was so that i could share information with you about this lion down the valley so and that's what education is that's what you're trying to do which is educate and do everything for free so with that in mind we still have to make we still have to make revenue we still have to make an income so how do we combine education, free education and making money? Mm. That's a good question. I think it's different for everybody in their own industry and in their own niche. Um, but as, as, as general like service providers, I, I just don't think that there's secret sauce. And so if you think that you're charging for secret sauce, um, you're, you're mistaken. Mm. I think that every client that comes through um, is going to have a very unique problem that a template can't solve. And so even if your secret sauce is your process, it's still going to be a unique result for that client going through your process. So I think that like being able to combine free education or being able to share um, what you do and yes. how you do it. Yes, yes, and yes. You can still make money because like uh you can write all the books in the world but there's always going to be people out there that are not going to want to do it themselves they're going to want to hire somebody i love that people that you want to work with and also the thing that i've noticed right you can be as explicit as you like with telling somebody hey this is what you should do this is how i've done it you know people will (laughs) maybe you don't want to say this about your audience but people kind of love to consume content without actually following it. Do you think that? Like people will sit there and get all the explicit information. They they get the step-by-step information from you or from Chris or from Seth Godin or whoever, and then they won't do it. There's still a whole oh, yeah. large yeah. percentage of people who won't do it. Sure. Um, but I think that the people who are scared to share are always going to look at the other side of that. Exactly. Say, exactly. Well, what about those guys? And I, I think that, okay, so there's, there's, there's two fronts to this. So the first thing is, is that like 
we have to recognize that even if we teach somebody how to do something, yeah. they're always going to be, they're always going to have their own spin on it. So even if we give somebody the, the exact step-by-step way to do something, yeah. there's, there's, there's two points that, that things shift. It's when the words leave our mouth and enter their ears, right? So there's a perception shift. The way that they perceive the information is, is one thing. Mm-hmm. And then in the way that they kind of understand and then put things out, that's another point of change. And so the way that they, they filter the information when it comes in and then the way that they filter the information when it comes out, something's going to shift. And so I don't think that, uh, that the secret sauce is, is, uh, is, is going to be spoiled because yeah. you're, you're educating. But then here's the other side of it, right? So there is definitely value in sharing what you do and producing content online. But one thing that we have to ask ourselves is who are we producing this content for? Yes. And what's our goal? So at the future, we produce content for designers and creative people who are running a business because we want them to come buy our products. Right. Now we're, we're advancing the industry. There's a lot of like um, well-meaning uh, behind what we do, but the goal is, is to create a successful, profitable business so that we can continue providing the most education that we, that, that we can to the most amount of people and, and impact the most lives. But there's a commercial goal. And so we're speaking to our customers. I think that the biggest mistake that a lot of service providers do when they, they create content is they create content that other designers and other creative professionals will consume. And they completely miss speaking to their customers. Mm. And so if I were, if I were going to start over, right? Yeah. If I were going to like completely ground up, um, let's say I wanted to start a design agency that focused on alcohol packaging or alcohol branding, Mm. right? So I wanted to brand breweries and distilleries and all that kind of stuff. And, Mm. And that's what I wanted to do. Um, making the same content that we're producing at the future, like how to present logos and how to design a a website and how to wireframe things that will never speak to my desired customer, which is the brewery owner. Exactly. And so I think that it's like, it's very, it's essential to share things, but also like have a reason for that, like have a purpose because if you're putting out content in the world and you're expecting that to net revenue or to, to bring revenue in for you or to bring customers in, you got to make sure that you're speaking to your customers. And so in this, in this kind of quasi example, if I'm, if I'm starting from scratch, mm. what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull down the, the, the top five logos from breweries across, uh, across the world. And I'm going to write a blog article about those. Awesome. Yeah. And why they're effective. Or maybe I'll take a look at the UX of four, distilleries websites and and critique that and that's the content and (laughs) it still revolves around my craft yep but at the same time it's speaking to yep my desired customer and my desired audience that's an awesome tip okay i know we're coming to the end of time so not the end of time the end of today's end of today it (laughs) It feels like that 2020 man oh gosh (laughs) don't remind us okay so 
because you only have like four blogs right now on your old. Do you plan to continue uh, writing on your MrBenBurns.com? You have like four posts. Yes, yes. Those blogs have are so old, dude. It's man. they are old, but you know what? They're still relevant. So I wanted to end with just asking you, like, a couple of. You know, you have some fundamental ideas. Like you had, you spent a year saying yes to everything, and you noticed that it's all about the fear. Even though it sounds like a cliche, I don't think we pay attention to it enough. The、yeah. thing that stops us is our own internal fear. So I was wondering, like today, do you still have the same kind of philosophy on life, or do you have any new insights that you've learned? Since you stopped writing those blogs, well,、um, it's interesting that you that you asked about the blog because I just wrote up a a log line and a and a script plan to completely、Ooh. reboot my website. Okay,、um, so we're going to be producing a series pretty soon. That's that's just about you know what do I focus on? What kind of content should I create? So it's, it's wonderful that you're asking those those kind of questions. As far as like、um, my philosophy about life, I, I, I'm a I'm a firm believer in just remaining open to possibilities, which is kind of what that blog post is about. It's it's just about like saying yes,、um, even if you're even if you're afraid. And what I've realized over time is that, and this might be different for for some people. Some people are just not inherently fearful of things. But I realize、mm-hmm. that like if I'm not scared of something. Um, I'm gonna get bored. I'm gonna get bored really quick, and it's also probably not worth pursuing.、And、right. So, so embrace the fear. Like you, you take you it as a good to, sign. Yeah, because a lot of it is is the fear of the unknown. It's like if I do this, will it net something? And so inherently, if if you're afraid of something that's like writing a book or Starting a business, or you know, one of those big life things. If if you're if you're fearful of that, it should tell you that it's a risk, and a risk is often worth taking, or at least trying. You know, so I think I think like, a, like being afraid or or feeling that fear is a really good、uh, flag. It's a good indicator. Totally, that totally. you're on the precipice of of something amazing. Yeah, and my blog is called Noticing the Obvious. Because I think the truth, when you hear it, is obvious. So when you say, you know, you had a year of saying yes to everything, and you you grew so much from that. As soon as I hear it, I go, oh man, that's noticing the obvious. And when you say embrace the、mm. fear and you know use fear as a motivator, that's obvious. That's a great thing to notice. But it, a lot of us don't notice the obvious things because of you know daily distractions and the noise. So yeah. So I want to end it with: Can you give me one obvious thing that maybe we walk around and we forget to notice? Oh man,、um, honestly, right now I'm I'm investing a lot of time and energy in、uh, getting to know myself and and kind of connecting with my body in a way. Awesome. So、uh, obviously, I you know I've struggled with my weight over the years for a long time, and I think that.、Uh, Hunger and and eating is a way to numb things for me,、mm. and so I'm I'm really working on that right now. And one of the things that I that I noticed is that like my body actually responds to my emotional state very very quickly,、mm. and、uh, I may be experiencing emotions 
that I don't even feel until I feel the, the physicality that's happening. And so like, I may be scared of something or nervous and I, and I don't even realize until like, I realize that like my stomach is kind of knotted up or my shoulders are really tense. Hmm. And so I think that like, it could be a masculine thing. It could be just my upbringing. It could be military. Um, but somewhere along the lines that I've, I've disconnected from my emotions. And hmm. so we make so much, so many decisions based on our emotions. So one of the things that I'm using is like a, is like an indicator of that is kind of getting back in touch with, with the way that my body is feeling in any given moment. I think that's the most obvious thing to notice. Notice what the heck your body's doing. So yeah, that's awesome. That totally counts as noticing something obvious. All right. Well, I think we can end it right here. So thank you so much for an awesome, um, some awesome insights and tips, Ben. Absolutely. Thank you. This was a blast. I hope it didn't talk too much. No, it was awesome. I could <laughs> we we could do this all night. Well, it's night for me. It's it's afternoon for you. So what is your plan for the rest of the day? Is that the end of the work week? Nope. I got a couple of meetings and then oh. uh, got to review some stuff with the team. So got another couple hours in me. Wow. Okay. But then it's Friday. So then we're done. Yes. Computer goes off. Movie goes, movies go on. And uh, I think we're having pizza tonight. <laughs> it's going to be a good day. Cool. Well, enjoy the rest of your evening, sir. Thank you so much. And hope we can do this again sometime. Oh, likewise. Alright, that was Ben Burns. After we finished recording, he teased me with some more stories working as an undercover police officer. So my goal is to definitely have him back on here soon. Alright, that's it from me. I'm Tan Lei. Thanks for listening. We didn't really talk about Finland too much in this episode, but don't worry, there's lots of Finland stuff coming. And check out marketinghelsinki.com for previous episodes on marketing in Helsinki.